Up next, what's this new thing called inside the SCCA? Hello everybody, I'm Brian Belansky and this is Inside the SCCA. So what is Inside the SCCA? Well, it's the latest offering from the Racing Wire Podcast Network. It's a weekly podcast about all things SCCA. We're going to cover everything from driver profiles, legends of the club, tech tips, exploring each class, and product reviews. We'll have episodes on all the club programs from road racing to solo, track days, road rally, rallycross, track night in America, and time trials, and whatever else I may have forgotten there, and whatever else comes up new over time as well. Over time, we'll talk about all of the volunteer specialties, and we'll do that often. Volunteers are the backbone of everything the SECA does. We'll also help people who are trying to figure out how to get started. And we'll promote events. If your region has an event you would like us to talk about, send us some info at least a month in advance, and we'll make mention of it on the show. Send me an email at raceannouncerbrian at gmail.com. A little about me. I've been a member off and on, but mostly on since 1986. I started my SCCA life as dad's, air quotes, crew chief, when all I knew how to do was change tires, check air pressures, and fill the gas tank. From there, I've built cars from the ground up, driven some of those race cars, worked as a flagger, starter, tech inspector. I did a stint as the flag chief for New York region. Now I spend most of my time as a race announcer and content creator. Being a TV news producer by trade has taken me all over the country. That's given me the chance to be a member of a bunch of regions, Chicago, Milwaukee, Land O'Lakes, Atlanta, New Jersey, New York, D.C., and now Cal Club. I don't think I've missed any in that list. Anyway, I've also raced or flagged at tracks in all of those areas, but most importantly, some of my best friends, people I consider family, have come from this club. Inside the SCCA is not sponsored by the club. I feel it's important to have an independent voice. It will allow us to have the tough conversations. But I want one thing to be clear. This is not going to be a podcast where we're going to go around and bash the club. I love this organization. It has its problems, and I'm the first to point them out. But all of the discussions on this podcast will be with one thing in mind, making the club better and attractive to both the old guard and people just starting out. New episodes will drop every Friday that will give everyone something to listen to on their way to the track for race weekends. So that's Inside the SCCA today. I say today because any podcast with a long history will evolve over time, and I plan to be doing this for many years to come. So with that, let's get on to our premiere episode. Our guest today, Jason Pribble. Jason started his driving career in kid carts in 2011. From there, he moved to full-size carts, competing at both the local and national level, often driving more than one class per weekend. In 2017, he began focusing fully on road racing with endurance carts. In 2019, he got his full comp license at the ripe old age of 14, Started in Formula Ford. This year, he went to the runoffs in FE2. He's a junior in high school with an eye on going to college for motorsports engineering. Jason, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I wanted to have you on because your path, well, let's start. There is no traditional path to get into racing. Uh, unless you have a very like, you know, a name like Andretti or, or Petty or, or something like that. Uh, but for most of us, there's lots of different ways to get into the sport. Um, 
But one of the ways that's least traditional, I guess, is for a youngster to get involved at a very young age when their family isn't already a racing family. And that's kind of your story, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. So at age, you got into kid cars. How old were you at that point in time? Uh, the first time I'd gotten into a kid cart, uh, we had done some testing at Road America. I was six at the time. Six. So if you didn't come from a racing family, how did you get hooked on this crazy sport that we call road racing? <laughs> All right. So luckily enough, um, the my family, my father's side, uh, his father and his friends, uh, they enjoyed watching racing, at least. Um, so they would head down to Road America to watch uh, races like the June Sprints, um, IMSA, things like that. Uh, once uh, then there came a time where my father uh, went with him. And then once I became old enough, my father took me to the uh, Supermoto or Moto America's race at Road America. And right next to where we were camping was a kart track. Uh, so that kind of caught my eye a little bit. And uh, the combination of both just watching the motorbikes go by fast every single lap and seeing the carts right next to me kind of uh, helped me realize what I might want to do. There you go. There you go. So in the end, it really was dad's fault. Uh, oh, yeah. I, you, you, your path and my path were kind of similar in that regard. Uh, my dad was a racer back in the 60s uh, and back in the late 80s, uh, middle 80s, he decided to get back into a race car. And that's when I was a teenager. So that was kind of my introduction to the sport. And then my best friend's dad, who was also a gearhead, took me to Road America for IMSA. And uh, two things happened to me at Road America. I discovered bikinis and the fact that I loved cars, uh, both of which, uh, you know, kind of set me on a course for life. And uh, but yeah, so same type of an experience, I'm sure, with the June sprints and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, so you're in kid carts, you're six years old. You know, a lot of kids at that age dabble, play around, have some fun, get bored, want to go back to their their PlayStation or whatever the case may be. You stuck with it. What what was your experience like in those first couple of years? Uh, first couple of years, uh, as expected, uh, I was learning how to drive and learning how to you know keep the cart on the track. Uh, kid cart year. That, that second part didn't go so well, <laughs> but um, it just comes with racing. First year of Kid Kurtz, I ran uh, at three tracks and uh, mainly at Road America in the Kid Kurtz class. And then year after I moved up. So going from Kid Kurtz, first year of racing, and then moving up a class right after was definitely difficult for me. But um, yeah, it just comes with the learning capabilities that you need as a driver. Uh, and then, so yeah, the first few years were, I can't say they were anything special, but um, they definitely led me at some point to where I am right now. Right. So at Road America, it, you weren't on the big track, right? You were on the, uh, there's a secondary, just a, a purpose-built cart track at Road America, somewhere on the, on the facility, right? Yes. So okay. there was, uh, a, right on the outside of turn eight, there is a cartplex. Uh it's fairly large, but uh, there was a kid cart track that we would be able to run uh, small, not too hilly, things like that. Cool, cool, cool. So at what point, when, when did you first get yourself on to the big track? Uh, the year I moved out of kid carts. Okay. Um, 
with my dad not having any experience in the racing world from a team perspective, he didn't really know what to do. So he went around asking uh, different series. We had started in uh, 206 Sportsman, uh, running club at Concept College Motor Speedway, as well as Mid-American Sprint Series. And we also called Championship Enduro Series, which is a road racing series. Um, somehow we managed to get myself onto Gateway Motorplex, which is now Worldwide Technology Raceway, at seven years old. And that's when I started running on the big courses. <laughs> uh, was that a, uh, a a skirting of the rules to get you on at that age? Or did they know what was going on? Um, so they definitely knew what was going on. I can't be sure what my <laughs> answer or I get we didn't skirt. We it was technically. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of know what the answer is without having to get the answer, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, seven yeah, years yeah. old on a big track for the first time. Still not anything that shifts, though, right? You're still doing it's still a direct drive cart, right? Yep. Direct drive. Uh, you know, s s slow to a six sportsman still running on the big track. Slow compared to cars, but I've I've done a little karting. It's not as slow as you might think it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's still, especially when you're seven, I can only imagine. Uh, it might feel slow, though, on a big track because you've got really long straightaways to, to get yourself from corner to corner. So in that case, it might feel a little slow. Uh, I can imagine that. So let's talk about your transition then from a cart to a car. How did that go about? Uh, so the first time I got into a race car was when I was 13 years old. I did the Lucas Oil School of Racing uh, beginner session at Mid-Ohio. Uh, it all went fairly well. The overall driving of the car was, yeah, it's, a, a car is an oversized go-kart from my point of view, obviously, starting from karts. Um, and I was lucky enough to start my car career on a track that I had known, Mid-Ohio. Uh, I've driven that on a cart in a cart multiple times so overall the adjustment wasn't too big the big biggest things um for me were just like breaking shifting things getting used to those rudimentary tasks um that lucas oil school helped me uh work on in that short amount of time sure sure so now you're 13 right you said yes so you don't have a yes. driver's license yet nope so where did you learn how to operate a stick shift? Maybe I don't want to know the answer to that question either. <laughs> oh, I can answer this one. I'm <laughs> confident in the answer. Yeah. Um, so luckily, the Lucas Oil cars are paddle shift. Okay. But I can still answer that question. Uh, when I was 12, uh, driving home from my, or I guess, quote unquote, driving home, uh, we were in front of my grandma's house leaving. Um, and my dad walked over to the passenger side and uh, told me to get into the driver's seat of a six-speed manual Jetta and told me to drive home. <laughs> and We're getting Dad so, yeah. into a lot of trouble tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so you didn't go to the driver's school without any experience with a, with a shifter, but, but limited, I'm guessing. Um, oh, yeah. How was that first school? I mean, you, you know, that's kind of throwing yourself from – from right into the heat of the fire there, right? Yeah, um, I think uh, I don't necessarily expect or I can't imagine a better way to start getting into cars than going into a school like that. Right. I was lucky enough that um, when we had first gone into the school, we registered. Um, 
and there was no one else registered for the beginner's session. And usually when that happens in the Lucas Oil School of Racing, they cancel the session and provide a refund. Um, but they decided to give a bit of a mock trial to see how uh, a hypothetical private class would go, where it was just one-on-one -on -one with an instructor. And so I, <laughs> um, you know, following the rules of racing, I was incredibly lucky. And I got a private class with at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. I was able to get onto the track completely alone. Wow. Uh, yeah. So they, and, you know, Either way, when I've talked to other people who have done that beginner class, um, you know, we learn the same things. So um, just, you know, things that I still use today, even after racing uh, FE2 and Formula Ford and all these different cars, I've been able to apply everything I've learned. Uh, biggest thing for me was obviously breaking out after I've, I've mentioned that. Lucas Oil school cars are essentially Formula Fords, right? Yeah, they're a little bit tuned down. They have no downforce, uh, just like Formula Ford. Right. Uh, they do use radial tires. Um, sure. And then they are um, paddle shift five-speed instead of the H-pattern four-speed that Formula Ford has. But aside from that, they're basically the same car. Got it, got it, got it. And then what was your step from there? Did you go right into an SCCA race after that? No. Um, so we used that Lucas Oil School to get my SCCA license, which was... Uh, surprisingly easy, even for a 14-year-old. Uh, you know, the ability that the Lucas Oil School gives you, it, there's a very broad range of different series that you can get licensed for. Uh, it's a well-trusted a well school. Uh, so, yeah, we applied. I got my license at 14, um, and I didn't do any SCCA races that year, which usually when you don't do an SCCA race, with full comp license uh, in a full year, uh, the license get res gets revoked. Right. However, at the very, very end of the season, I managed to get a seat in an F1600 at FRP. And um, given that that's an offshoot of SCCA and it's a pro series rather than SCCA, which is an amateur or pro-am, uh, I was able to retain my license for the next year. Got it, got it, got it. So then what did the next year look like? Uh, the next year was... Um, just this last season. Uh, it was meant to be the silly season where we dabbled around in a bunch of different cars, did a bunch of different things, and really just uh, got my name out there to different people. Uh, we were lucky enough to find a great team. Uh, you know, after talking to a few, few people, a few teams, uh, which is something that we kind of do. Uh, my father and I, we talk to, we give a Zoom call to any team that we're interested in just to talk to them and see if they think we're crazy or we, we think they're crazy. Um, and yeah, so we found uh, Rhinecraft Motorworks who had originally had an, had an SRF3 seat available for me. Um, but then uh, close, uh, it was a couple months before when we had planned to race, they had sold the car. Um, so they offered me an FE2 seat instead. Got and it. that's when the most recent and full season of uh, my car career began. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. So let's let's rewind just a second. You went from carts without any shifters and no shifter cart experience to your first school and essentially a Formula Ford, and then one semi-pro race. And then you launch yourself into a season of FE2. 
and that's a pretty steep learning curve. But uh, and and we're going to get into how successful that season went in a second here. But uh, before we do that, I want to just suggest or or just talk for a second. Uh, you, you said you talked to a team. That leads me to believe that you don't own your car, right? Uh, yeah, that is correct. Great. And I say great on purpose because I get a lot of conversations over the years because people know I'm involved with cars and and they come up to me and they say, Brian, how, you know, how do I get my kid involved with racing? And uh, my first question is, how big is your bank account? And uh, but but more 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 appropriately, the question I always ask is, you know, I, they, if someone says I want to buy my kid, you know, buy a car to go racing. And this isn't even just for kids. This is for anybody. Uh, you know, I want to buy a car and go racing, you know, and my 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 standard line to people is don't do that. You know, you, you've never been on a race car before. You have no idea really what you want to race. Some things look kind of cool and they're interesting to you. Um, but but you probably don't have any idea what it takes to put that car together, even if it's a car that's already a race car. You don't have any idea how to maintain it. You don't have any idea what's going to happen on a race weekend. Uh, and you could go out and spend literally tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, and then find out two weekends in that either you don't like that car or you might not even like racing altogether. You know, it's it's not a sport for everybody. So my, my, my regular recommendation is always rent first, you know, and from, from the discussions that we've had here, you know, it does make, you know, you guys don't come from a family with a whole background of racers and all that kind of stuff. So you didn't have the support system in place to go out and start running your own car. So the smartest decision you and your dad made was to do it exactly the way you're doing it. And will always be my recommendation when people come and ask me how to get started. So now I'm just going to tell them to listen to this podcast and then I don't have to go through it over and over and over again. Uh, so kudos <laughs> to you and dad for going the route you've gone with that. Um, I'm not sure that I would have leapt right into FE2. I think the spec racer Ford three probably would have been the better choice. Um, but you know, when you ask your, when you said you asked teams if we're crazy, uh, we're all a little crazy to do this. So, uh, you know, and, and, it, and, and we're going to get into this, to what happened in your first season of FE three or FE two. And uh, I, our, our listeners will realize that while it sounds crazy, while it probably was a little crazy and probably still is a little crazy, uh, I think it worked out okay for you. So, uh, so, so talk to us about your first race at FE2. I understand it. Well, I know because we, we chatted about this before. It's at one of my favorite places in the world. So let's talk about race number one real quick. Yeah. So um, I guess to start off, uh, I think what you said just before was really a uh, really great thing. It's always great to think through what you're about to do. And um, when we first went to the Lucas Oil School, we went to a track that I had known, like Bit Ohio, for my first race in FE2. Knowing that it was a pretty fast car, um, <laughs> we decided to go to a place that I know. So I have been racing at Blackhawk Farms for nine, ten years now. I've got over probably over 2,000 miles at that track alone. And that's the race that we chose to do my first race in the FE2 in. Very um, smart. The biggest thing for us was, uh, well, I guess there's two things. One, keep the car on the track. And two, learn how to drive the car. Um, because I guess those things go hand in hand. But if we only have the car to worry about, uh, that makes things a little bit easier for us. 
and, and back so- to my my discussion before, all you have to worry about is keeping the car on the track and learning how to drive the car because there's somebody else doing all the other work that might distract you on your first race weekend. So let's put that out there again as, as an example of why it's great to do it the way you did it. So did you keep the car on the track all weekend? No, (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) I definitely didn't. (laughs) On that topic, we'll go into the first race. Um, I qualified second out of, uh, I think six or eight cars. It was, it was a solid qualifying for me. Um, I'm fairly proud of it. Even now, uh, looking at the video, obviously I felt slow, but you know, uh, it went well for me. Uh, and this is mixed class racing. So although, you know, we've got a decent sized class, not everyone has a decent sized class and it's not like we're going to be doing, uh, individual races for every single car. Uh, so I was, sitting alongside a bunch of, um, you know, big bore, 3,000 pound, big wings, you know, cars that had probably 100 horsepower on me, just sitting in between two of them, maybe. (laughs) Um, So yeah, come first race, uh, I think two, three laps in, I outbreak myself, staring in the mirror. Uh, I ended up in fourth in my first race in FE2. Nothing to be ashamed of there. Oh, absolutely not. I was fairly proud of that. Good job. Good job. So did, did, did your, here's something else that comes when you rent a car sometimes. Uh, did your team provide you with coaching? Yes. Yes, they did. Uh, so Tony, who was the owner, uh, he provided me with coaching that weekend. Uh, and then Max, his son is another driver, Max Grau. Incredible racer. Won the June sprints last year. Uh, qualified first in the Indy runoffs this year. And he helped me a lot through this. So I had a really great group on my side this year. <laughs> that's that's so, so important for any driver just starting out. Um, you know, even if you're 40 or 50 years old or, or, or regardless, uh, if you can get someone who's got experience in the, 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 the car you're driving or the type of cars that you're driving and can just talk you through things a little bit that is just so it so helps the learning curve you know for any driver that's out there so i'm, I'm glad to hear that uh was there a second race race in that first weekend yep so most scca races or i guess all of the majors races have uh two races sunday race was a little bit longer qualified second once again uh, except this time i didn't outbreak myself and that helped because i won that race Okay, wait a second now. So <laughs> you're 17. You're in. Six, you, no, no, 15. At the t- okay, so at the time you're 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 15. You're yes. at your first wheel to wheel race weekend in an FE2 car. You're like your third time ever in a car where you have to shift, and you won your second race in that first weekend. That's yeah, a good weekend. Yeah. That's a good weekend. Oh, yeah. uh, yes. It's like, you know, we're writing the Hollywood script here. And <laughs> and that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. So from there, what was let's let's kind of fast forward through that first the rest of the first season until we get to uh, what happened here in September. What were there a couple of races? Be, um, obviously, a couple of races between Blackhawk Farms and and what we what we're really going to talk about here. Uh, yeah, so we had uh, 
three other races in between Blackhawk Farms and just recently. Uh, we ran two at Road America. We won, ran June Sprints at Cat Nationals. I won at Cat Nationals, so I had two wins on the season, as well as a race at Gingerman, uh, where I podiumed both days. Cool, cool. Uh, cat Nationals, by the way, folks, uh, those are named after Brian Redmond's cat which is uh, uh, rumored to be uh, to be buried in the carousel at Road America. Uh, and uh, there's a whole legend behind that that we're going to do a whole podcast episode on at one point in time. And, uh, and of course, the June sprints, uh, the June sprints are arguably the second most important road race in, in the SECA. I think there's a couple of other races that might uh, argue with me on that, um, but but definitely in the top five most important events in the club. And uh, how did that experience? How did that experience go for you? Uh, so a little a, a small detail about this race is that it was uh, my second race in the FE2. <laughs> let's let's just <laughs> go the easy route. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know we. Somewhere in our thought process, we decided that uh, having a quote-unquote practice race before the Cat Nationals would be a good idea. And you chose uh, the June Sprint. Yeah, and that's not something I def- uh, rec- recommend. Uh, <laughs> we made some mistakes this season, although it went well, we made some mistakes. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say this was a terrible mistake, but uh, I don't think I would do it again if I were in that situation. Uh, it was intense, you know, 28 cars in the field or no, sorry, uh, 20 cars in the field. Uh, luckily, uh, all went well. I finished 11th both days and, uh, I got some experience running in a pack with a bunch of other FE2s, the same speed as me. And that's so valuable, you know, even though it was in that situation, uh, you know, kind of, again, throwing yourself right into the fire, uh, quickly from the frying pan into the fire. Uh, you know, that's experience that uh, you survived it, thankfully. And, uh, and uh, now you have that experience in your, in your driver's memory bank to be able to take it with you to uh, what comes next. Of course, you said you won the cat nationals. Uh, you went down to, uh, was it Gingerman? You said, yeah. Gingerman. Okay. So Gingerman was your, your, your other race. Uh, you, you, you put enough points together and had enough race finishes uh, to qualify you to do a race at a location that just about every racer in the United States who is in, who loves road racing uh, and and especially open wheel racing, you know, dreams of being able to race at, and uh, and that is the SECA runoffs. That enough is big enough, but it, in addition to being qualifying for the national championships. You qualified as a whatever age you are now, the ripe old age of whatever age you are now, to go race at the 16. Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So, yeah. um, and uh, so, so you, you you'd mentioned to me in a, in a previous discussion that you'd been to Indy before, but what's it like going through the tunnel at Indy, knowing you're going to be racing with you know the best in the club? at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the same track that IndyCar races on, essentially, uh, in an open-wheel winged race car? Uh, I felt badass. 
so cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's definitely something different. And, you know, when they say Indianapolis is the racing capital of the world, they really do mean it. Uh, you know, not just IndyCar, but Formula One has been there. NASCAR goes there. Like everyone goes there. Uh, and being and having the privilege to go across the yard of bricks on a car that goes fast is something that I would never actually dream of when I was, you know, seven years old, puttering around on a little track in a 206 kick cart. Uh, it was it was mind-boggling to me that uh, at 16 years old, I was there and I was about to race on that track. That's so so cool. Uh, real quick, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about that full experience and and how your runoffs went. Uh, we'll do that when we come back after a short break. This is inside the SCCA. All right, welcome back to Inside the SCCA. I want to tell everybody about an event coming up here November 6th here uh, on the West Coast. If you're in the Southern California area or if you want to get out of wherever your cold weather is to have some fun uh, on November 6th, San Diego region is holding a road rally. They call it the Pie Run. And uh, it is a, uh, it is, let's see, it, oh, it, it ends at Julian Beer Company. So how bad can that be? But uh, it's the twisty roads around San Diego County, which is gorgeous, folks. Uh, if you've never been, it would be a great destination rally to come and do. Uh, you could do it in a rental car even. Uh, it's from Rancho Pensaquitos uh, to San Diego, uh, and it ends at the Julian Beer Company. Oh, and, and next to the Julian Beer Company is the Julian Pie Company. So how bad can that be? Uh, if you have never tried a road rally before, uh, you're trying to get uh, from point A to point B at legal speeds, but at, at an exact perfect time, uh, it's a driver and a navigator who get together and do it. $25 per car. Uh, you must be an SCCA member. Uh, we do have weekend memberships, though, for $15, so you can come enjoy the whole thing. Uh, I will put links in the show notes to where you can go to get more information and to register. So, again, San Diego region, Road Rally, the Pie Run, November 6th coming up here so if you're in the area or would love to come to san diego for the weekend a great way to do it all right so we're back here talking with jason pribble here about his young uh career as a racer and his first trip to the scca runoffs uh just happens to be at indianapolis motor speedway how overwhelming was this whole experience going to the runoffs for you uh, you know, you can uh, you can say overwhelming in so many different ways in so many different contexts, and it was all of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the the fact of not just like racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but I got to live there for ten days. That's uh, cool. And I got to live at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I was living the life of racing, um, <laughs> and. You know, just like that, you know, the better half of my dream had already come true. So you can uh, just retire now. <laughs> uh, no, I won't go that easy. D Dad's like, that easy. yes, that will save me lots of money. Retiring now would be perfect. Um, yeah. So, so and let me ask you one other question before we get into how the racing went for you. Um, when I was a kid and racing with my dad, my friends had no idea what we did. You know, 
oh yeah, you go race cars. Oh, that's kind of cool. And that was the end of it. I never had a chance to tell the kids, hey, we're going to race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What do your what do your friends think about all this? So whenever I, you know, the next year of school starts and things like that, you know, there's always the tell us about yourself and <laughs> stuff like that. What did you do on your summer vacation? I generally I don't talk about my racing uh, because it's hard for people to understand. Right. Uh, you know, obviously, before I was doing cars, I would say I race go-karts and, you know, you can tell how that would go. You know, yeah. no one really cares about something like that unless they understand what it is. Right. Uh, and then recently, I've kind of, you know, been more comfortable with saying what I do. And when I was gone for 10 days, uh, that raised some suspicion and people started asking. <laughs> <laughs> and most of my friends know. Uh, and then after, you know, racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and I'm seeing me and you know that the big wings and all that fun stuff and on tv uh, yeah that too on tv uh and they just uh it definitely gives them gives them a better understanding of what i am and uh i guess that's so cool it's yeah it's yeah so i'm hoping you took advantage of the test days you know, you're still a, a wee young FE2 racer, and this will be your first time on this configuration at Indianapolis. Um, but you did do a card event there, right? Yeah. So now, again, you did a card event where you did your first school. You did a lot of karting at Blackhawk Farms. You did karting at Road America. Did you ever kart at Gingerman before you went there? Yes. Yeah. I okay. <laughs> so uh, really smart, smart decisions. You know, every track you went to on a big car was a track you drove in a cart. So uh, while it doesn't directly transfer over, knowledge is knowledge is knowledge. At least, you know, when the car is supposed to turn left and when the car is supposed to turn right, that's big. That's a big deal. So um, now the configuration, though, that you carted at Indian was not the same configuration as the runoffs. Right. Pretty. But part of it was right. Yeah, um, so we had turn two, three, four, five, and six were all together. And although that's a lot of numbers, uh, that was probably about, you know. What, a third uh, of the track? An eighth of, a, an eighth of a mile. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So so you didn't get the chance to go up on, into the little turn, what is that, six, 15, 16 complex before you get onto the, the short shoot, and then you come back into the little infield and then go on to the main straight to make that long drive down to turn one. All that part wasn't part of what you did in the cart, right? No, none Got of it. that was. No. Okay. So real important to do the test days. Uh, happy about that. How did qualifying go? Uh, so qualifying, uh, spaced over three days. We no longer had uh, as many classes. It was FE2 and FA. Uh, for two days and then one of those days wednesday we had just fe2 got it uh, so we got a lot of open road even with the amount of cars on track uh the first day of qualifying uh you were gridded by super tour points um and given that i had raced one super tour race and it was also june sprints which was my second race <laughs> in an fe2 you can imagine that i did not uh start qualifying very well i started in third to last uh, and that session was dedicated to me just getting better position for the next qualifying. Right. But I'll be honest with you, you know, starting in the back and qualifying when you have multiple qualifying sessions, isn't always a bad thing. You know, it gives you a chance to kind of do your thing, not, not get in the way, learn a little bit. Uh, so while it probably didn't seem like a great thing, uh, I, I would suggest that it probably was beneficial nonetheless. 
Oh yeah, I think um, you know, it gave me, if anything, it you know, or I guess if nothing, it gave me the opportunity to see where the best places to pass were. Got it. Uh, you know, I'm just always going to be looking for opportunity wherever I can in whatever situation I'm in. Got it. Got it. So I'm looking at the uh, looking at the qualifying results after the three sessions right now, and uh, you qualified ninth out of a field of 28 cars, 28 cars. Uh, I don't know all of the names here, but I recognize a bunch of them. And uh, looking at the, the drivers who qualified behind you, I see a bunch of names that I recognize and, and they're all really good race car drivers. So, and, and they're, and, and they're all in pretty darn decent equipment. So qualifying ninth at your first runoffs on your fifth race weekend, uh, pretty remarkable. Congratulations on that. Uh, so now you're getting ready for the first race at the runoffs in your career, sitting on the grid, wondering what's coming up, what's going through your mind. Uh, there's, it's definitely when you talk about senses, this was a sensory overload. You know, you hear everything, you smell everything, you just feel every, everything that could go wrong. It probably will. You know, hearts racing, um, there, yeah, it feels like there's so much going on when in reality, all you're doing is sitting down in the car. Um, but then, you know, you start thinking about, uh, how you're going to make it through turn one, if you're going to make it to turn one things like that. <laughs> um, and, you know, even as a new, uh, as a new car driver, those are things I don't know the answer to. Uh, and, you know, going back to the team thing, uh, renting a car, I had people to give me some answers to that. Um, so it was a, definitely a difficult time for me just mentally, but uh, I had people to help me through it. So, my suspicion, though, is all of that stuff's going through your head while you're sitting on the grid. All of that stuff is going through your head, maybe on the pace lap. Uh, slam on the gas, head down to turn one. Uh, we'll talk about whether you made it through turn one the first time or not in a second. Uh, but at some point, maybe one lap, two laps, three laps into this race, it's not that it just becomes another race. But it's like every other race you've done before. So it's it's a lot of that head game is until the action starts, until the green flag falls, and then you get back into it. So uh, so you're you're hurtling down towards turn one with 28 of your closest friends uh, at your <laughs> first runoffs at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm trying to build a suspense here. Uh, did you make it through turn one? I made it through turn one, and so did everyone else. Nice uh, in front of me and behind me. It was a very, very clean start, and I was uh, happy to see no smoke in my mirrors and no smoke in front of me. Amen to that. Amen to that. So tell me how the run went. All right. So um, definitely a difficult first few laps. I lost uh, three, four positions just going through the things I weren't used to. Uh, I think I dropped down to maybe 15th overall, and uh, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, never before up until this very, very race, I hadn't never driven with a full gas tank. Mm. Uh, it was cold in the morning. So things, the car was just very different. Uh, front tires weren't coming in they were locking up instead. The weight of the car was just completely different. Um, and so that first, those first few laps were 
dedicated to me, uh, you know, radium to my team, what adjustments in card do I need to make, sway bar, break bias, things like that, uh, how to make me go faster. Uh, yeah. And well, we should remind people that uh, go-karts don't have adjustable sway bars or break bias, right? <laughs> so so yeah. all of that is a new experience for you there as well. So, uh, so, so you drop down to 15th, 16th or whatever, uh, in the first couple of laps, eventually though, things start, you started to figure things out, right? Yeah. Uh, after probably five, six laps halfway through the first, or I guess quarter of the way through the race, uh, it started gaining back positions. Uh, uh, and then, you know, I was far enough away from the cars in front of me that it didn't really look like I was going to gain anything else. And then, uh, you know, sitting in about, I think 10th, uh, we had our first caution of the race and that gave me the opportunity to race some more people and gain some more positions. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, uh, where did you end up finally, uh, at the end of, uh, what was it? 19 laps at, at Indy. Yeah. So, um, uh, I guess at the end of the race, I finished eighth place. Unfortunately, on the last lap, there was a bit of contact that was protested, and I ended up uh, in tenth. But uh, you know, still top ten finish. Top ten at your first runoffs in your fourth race weekend of your career. I, I just so so cool to talk about. So cool to talk about. Um. So so let's talk real quick about this this season and and how you guys get done what y'all do because, um, you know, uh, last I checked. Uh, Pribble was not related to an Unser or a uh, an Andretti, and you're all trying to find a way to pay for this whole deal. Um, and you're you're part of all of that process, even at your young age. Uh, talk to us. I, I looked at your website and and the great bio that your dad sent me. And by the way, if you're a young driver looking for kind of sponsorship. Um, putting together a package that you can show people is really important. And, and you guys have done a really nice job with that. So, um, but I looked at your, your package and you've got uh, 10, 12 sponsors. H how did you all work that out? Because typically uh, there's not a ton of sponsorship to be had for SCCA racing. Yeah, no, um, I definitely, I, I agree with that. You know, you don't see it all the time. Uh, and uh we, we utilized a lot of things about me personally that um, helped us. You know, we use a lot of networking, uh, emails, just being being assertive, but in a good way that they want they want to see your face. Uh, and yeah, so we you know we write letters to different companies, we make phone calls, we meet people in person, uh, and we uh, have acquired. Yeah, about 12 sponsors, both uh, local and larger sponsors, such as, you know, Amsoil, things like that. Well, let's give them a little shout out. I mean, uh, let's let's not just end with talking about Amsoil. You got a couple other ones you want to mention here before we get out? Yeah, um, so absolutely. We have a couple of local ones. We have Jennings Chevrolet. They've been with us very, very early on uh, for, I think, about 10 years now, uh, and they... You know, they're really supportive of us and they help, you know, it's a car, it's a car dealership and, you know, we have given them <laughs> some, of, some of our car parts and, sure. and uh, definitely helps people ask what, what they are, 
we also have uh, Stardust Memorials, which is one of our family friends turned into business partner. They help us out. Um, definitely, they've also they've for sure been with us since day one. Uh, CNM Auto Service, they've helped before we knew anyone with a welder. And when I would break my chassis, they always helped us weld it back together, as well as um, giving us support, um, um, you know, in their shop and things like that. Uh, and then on to some of the larger sponsors, we have TriStar Racewear. They provide my suit, uh, comfortable, keeps me safe. Uh, Zamp Racing, we use their helmet, neck restraint, glove, and racing underwear. Um, uh, you know, comfortable, obviously looks cool, things like that. Nice. We also have World World Bridge Partners, a uh, new sponsor this year. Uh, very supportive. They help sponsor our runoffs weekend. And uh, you know, that's just a that's just a list of a few of our sponsors for this year. So, you know, a lot of questions I always get about sponsorship is, you know, sponsors want value out of what they're spending their money on. Uh, sure, sure, some of them might be a family friend who will say, Hey, you know, I, I like you, I I, I want to support you. Uh, but most of the time, sponsors want to get some value on it. So what kind of value are you able to to return uh, to the folks who are helping you out? Yeah. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, we have our website. Our uh, website gives us you know, a detailed rundown of what happened on our weekends. Uh, we've got a, a fair amount of followers that go just to our website. We also have a YouTube channel where we uh, add, um, you know, ad- endorsements, things like that on our videos. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, things like that. And then obviously stickers, big thing. They make the car go. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And then uh, car shows as well. We cool. probably, we attend them, you know, a couple of times a month, maybe talk to people. Uh, and we've helped, we've, uh, you know, we notice when some people point out the stickers and like, oh, I know these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Things like that. Pretty cool. Well, I got to tell you, I'm so impressed uh, both in, in your accomplishments on the track and, uh, of course, the discussion that we've had. Uh, you are not your typical 16, 17-year-old out there, and, and that's pretty awesome. Uh, la- last question, uh, or last thing I want to just talk about is you're also working like 18 jobs. Is that the case what did, what did i see in the uh, bio <laughs> no i'm exaggerating slightly but but you're working to raise some money for this as well not just asking other people to give it to you yeah so when i wasn't racing i was working over the summer i worked a full-time job uh in washing cars i also worked at the farmer's market over the summer uh local and you know when i wasn't when i wasn't gone for the weekends i was working there uh and then uh you know the day after i was working washing cars again uh, once the school year started, I switched jobs to a part-time job, and now I'm working at a an empanada restaurant, uh, and so that definitely takes up some of my time during school. But it, you know, all in the name of racing, right? That's right, exactly. And to all the people out there who say kids are lazy, here's an example of of the unlazy kid who wants to go racing, has a has a passion, and is doing whatever it takes to get it done. Uh, Jason, congratulations to you and your family. I know it's a family affair. These things don't happen without family at this stage. Um, you all should be really proud of what you've accomplished. Yeah, uh, I guess you uh, definitely. I left out one last sponsor, and that is family, and especially my father. Uh, you know, when we weren't running with the team, we were obviously running out of him and running, uh, you know, carts. He helped, he worked on the carts up until, you know, I 
you know, had the motor skills to be able to turn a wrench, things like that. And he taught me how, so, and none of this would have gone anywhere if it weren't for him and it weren't for my mother who let me race in the first place. And then all my extended family who support me throughout these years. That's funny. I was watching the uh, formula one race today at Coda and uh, I heard a term, it's a British term apparently. Uh, and uh, it's so exemplifies your experience and my experience and uh you guys are having a, a dads and lads weekend on every race weekend and uh i like i said i never heard that term before I'm like that is so perfect for what a family goes through um you know when they're trying to help uh, a, a young son or a young daughter uh make their way through this thing so congratulations to you guys all uh, i look forward to keeping uh, keeping an eye on you through the next season and uh, what, what's your plans for next year real quick? Uh, you know, that's a great question that uh, unfortunately we don't have the answer to yet. Okay. You know, uh, last season was supposed to be silly season. It looks like next year is going to be silly season, but uh, I can say one of the great things that happened this season, regardless was the fact that at runoffs by the end of the season, uh, there were a lot of people that I didn't know that knew my name. Uh, and yeah, we'll see whatever whatever comes to the table. Well, I'm sure whatever car you get into, you're going to have success in, and I look forward to keeping an eye on it. So thanks again. Have yourself a great night, and I appreciate you, appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure being here. Real quick, before we end today's show, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, one of the most influential members of our club who uh, has taken his final checkered flag. Longtime New England region member, uh, Bob Entrone passed away unexpectedly while traveling early in October. He was an SCCA member for 40 years, started flagging turns in the 1970s, quickly fell in love with SCCA motorsports and recruited many of his friends, establishing a corner, corner worker crew called the Roadrunners. Uh, this team of flaggers became famous in the 70s throughout the St. Louis region, slapping their stickers on cars and visited their stations. He eventually obtained his competition license, then in Spec Racer Ford. Uh, then he moved to corners to race from corners to race control uh, as a steward. That's where I got to know Bob. I'll tell you that story in just a little bit. He signed off on hundreds of novice logbooks. He was instrument instrumental in the development of many drivers. Due to his years of service in the Air Force as a chief meteorologist for shuttle launches and DOD projects, Bob was always the region's go-to guy for weather. What to expect during race weekends, but his impact on the region extended far beyond whether drivers would race on wet or dry tires. Leadership was at his core through the decades he stepped into to guide the direction and promote the growth of the club at the regional level within the Northeast Division and nationally. He served New England region as the regional executive. He was also the Area 1 director for the Northeast Division and spent two years as the chairman of the SECA National Board of Directors. Earlier this year, he was honored with the Castle Stone Steward Award, recognizing him as the Steward of the Year for the Northeast Division. In addition to mentoring up-and-coming drivers, new workers, both flaggers and stewards, he also contributed to long-term projects, including uh, new track development. His first love, though, was always waving flags on a corner. He donned his whites, even if it was just for a session or two, at more than 30 runoffs. His passion for motorsports, it was a family affair. He passed it down through the generations. His wife of 56 years, Carol, flagged by his side for decades. When Bob moved to the control tower, she did too a constant in timing and scoring. His son Steve and wife Melissa have also become integral members of the SCCA. 
Steve followed in his father's footsteps and now uh, serves on the North uh, New England Region Board of Directors. Uh, he raced Spec Racer Ford 3 for 20 years uh, before transitioning to B-Spec. One of Bob's proudest moments, seeing his son on the podium this year at the runoffs in B-Spec, just a week before he passed away. Bob's grandchildren are also continuing their legacy. They are already working in timing and scoring and preparing to build their own car to continue the Introne family SECA racing tradition. Real quick, when I became a flag chief in New York region, we worked a lot of races together. Bob was one of the stewards in control while I was up there doing my thing. And uh, he was always very quick, but very uh, kind to me when I did something I shouldn't have. Uh, He would either just give me that look and I'm like, yeah, shake my head and say, yeah, I could have done that better. On occasion, he'd pull me aside and we'd have a chat, but always in a very mentorship type situation, very kind to me. And I I could see right away why he was uh, such a well-respected member of the SECA. And I kind of thought to myself that uh, his example was an example that I wanted to follow as an SECA official. So uh, Bob was uh, uh, meant a lot to me in my early years as a club uh, racing official, and I really appreciated the, uh, the the tutelage that he was able to give me uh, in my couple of years as the flag chief up for New, uh, New York region uh, at Lime Rock Park. So his service uh, will be November 5th, that's a Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, at the Orchard Christian Fellowship in Londonderry, New Hampshire, Anyone uh, who is listening who would uh, like to make it to that, to that service, everyone is welcome. Like I said, we are all going to be, uh, we're all going to miss Bob, and our club's a better club today because of Bob. We just want to give our best uh, and our, our condolences to his family, all of his friends in the New England region, uh, and across the Northeast and, and across the country. Bob touched so many people. Again, his service, uh, memorial service details, uh, Friday, November 5th, 10 a.m., Orchard Christian Fellowship, Londonderry, New Hampshire. Anyone who would like to uh, to uh, to join them there and uh, for for the services, welcome to uh, the family's requesting no flowers, uh, but as a dedicated veteran, uh, they do say uh, if you'd like to make donations uh, to the Disabled American Veterans Organization, uh, that would be most appropriate. Godspeed, Bob and Trone. You did good down here, racer. We look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road for a few more laps. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the SECA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you'd leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can also follow us on social media, find out who our next guest is, and leave a question on Twitter. Our handle is at RacingWireNet as in like .net. There'll be a whole new Inside the SECA every week. Have yourself a great week and go out and play with some cars. 